Hi, and welcome to the Saxophone Academy podcast. I'm Dr. Wally Wallace. And I'm Dr. Susan Fancher. And today we are talking about... Rhythm. You got it? Well, of course. I got it. <laughs> I got rhythm and some music some of the yeah. time. We're going to talk about that and answer some of your questions. Hope you enjoy the episode. Awesome. All right, so what... <laughs> I got a doozy of a question that I'm going to oh, unload no. on you. Oh, no. These are so hard. They hurt my brain. I know. And this one is is um, a young man. The, the question today is coming from someone that's, you know, it's a big life question. Enrolled in okay. college. Why don't just let oh. that sit heavily in the back of your mind for okay. a while today. Yeah. What are we doing? Rhythm. You, yeah. What brought this to, to your attention? So my friend, Angela Wyatt, who's based in Minnesota, wonderful saxophonist, plays with the Antia Saxophone Quartet, sent me an email mm-hmm. and said, Hey, Sue, I have some students who need to work on rhythm and time, and I'm wondering what you think about the Lundex Rhythm Method books. <laughs> and uh, yes. So Lundex used the rhythm method. The rhythm method, yes. That's, did he have any children? Yes. So it didn't work. Okay, moving on. <laughs> anyway, whew, I hope that went over the heads of most of our listeners. Our young listeners anyway. <laughs> Good. Know. Anyway, so, you know, Angie sent me this question, and I wrote back that, actually, I haven't used those Lundex books, but uh, she wrote a little description of the method. Is How does it relate to your method? Or do you have a method? Or do you well, just beat your students until they get the rhythm right? Mostly, yes. You hit of them course. with the rhythm. Yeah. No, of course not. What? And a two, and a three. You know, and then <laughs> only they got- if they Only if they really ask me to do that. No. Okay. Then you, then, you okay. Know, yeah. <laughs> but I've, you know, there are a lot of different ways to um, help your students learn rhythms. And of course, the obvious old school answer is slow down. Mm. Um, learn to count. You know, did you did you learn those old ways of counting? I don't know if, if this is still taught. Like it must, like like pre Arabic numerals. I mean, like and yeah. three. Yeah, and I love the I love the and method. Yeah, better than the te ta te. Yeah, no, I didn't do the te ta te. No, I did one e and a two or one yeah. and two and and so practice. Just learn that method of counting until it's easy, and then and then. Of course, we band people learn to tap our feet on the beat. Well, you gotta you gotta tap your foot on the beat. Well, yeah. yeah. You see the whole elementary school band going. And, and it's Wah. like a wave. Wah. 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 Yes, of course. <laughs> exactly. It's like a, it's like a, yeah, it's a drum roll of, of feet. <laughs> oh, it's so cute to watch those it concerts. Is. And then, of course, the stupid thing about that is then later on we have to teach ourselves not to tap our feet because it looks studenty and unprofessional. So that's that drove a, me nuts when I got to college. I know, yeah. and it's like, oh, maybe we shouldn't teach them to tap. Their feet. So I don't how, know. So how does this this Londex method of rhythm? Yeah. So so Wait, first of all, you studied yeah, with Londex. I did. So if in the fact that you hadn't heard of it, probably meant like you've got good rhythm. Well, and I by the time I studied with him, I was post college. Okay. So I think this method is for you know younger players. Oh, gotcha. Rhythm. Yeah. Okay. And so like um, Angie wrote this out for me. I'm so happy she did that because I don't have the book. What what is what grade level does Angie teach? Um, she teaches college students, but also younger students. Okay, yeah. yeah. But I've had lots of college students who need work on rhythm, too. I did, when yeah. I got to college, yeah. The same, yeah. I mean, you can no, always I, get better with I, I My college audition was the Ibera Constituta de Camera. Oh, I learned tricky. it off a recording ah. because I couldn't read rhythms. And then I get into ah. my lesson, and I'll never forget, um, a graduate student was teaching a lesson when my professor was out of town, Rhett Bender at University or Oregon South Bend. He's, he's at SOU now. Right. Yeah, okay, Southern yeah. Oregon. Yes. Southern Oregon, yeah. uh, and a very fine teacher. And yeah. I went in for my first lesson with him, and and he said, uh, we're playing Glazunov, and I didn't have a recording. Uh, and he's just looking at me, he's like, you don't know how to read rhythms, do you? Right. <laughs> I was like, nope. Right. 
Yeah. If you give me a recording, I'll learn it. Yeah. yeah. Never too late to so learn. So never too late to learn. Never too late to learn. Which you is know, good because I still learn. I still haven't done it. I still haven't learned. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> well, the first thing is that he's got these one or two measure rhythmic patterns apparently in this book. So okay. this is all secondhand because I don't actually have We're not going to buy it. Uh, well, no. Yeah. Now, wait a minute. Yeah. <laughs> and so the first thing is to tap and count the rhythm with metronome for 30 seconds while looking at the music. Now- Lundex is a fantastic pedagogue, and but this is very typical of him. Thirty seconds with the metronome, very See, strict and very codified. Well, that's which good. Is some very students love that. Yes. Yeah, and I will say, even some of my adult students, if they say, "Well, yeah. how many times do I do this?" Like, well, just till you feel you need to move on. And they're like, "How many times Dr. is that, Wally, Wally?" I need an answer. Yeah. And I'm like, "Just make one up." Well, send me a check, and I'll think about it. <laughs> but so tapping, so you got your metronome going, and then on the other hand. <laughs> Like you're tapping the yeah. rhythm. So tap and count the rhythm. So you have to do that counting. Okay. So you're counting with it while you're tapping. So you'd be like one and, and, and. Something and. like that. Yeah. yeah. Okay. And you're tapping your foot and counting the rhythm. Okay. So that's already assuming a lot. Yeah. Honestly, that you can do that. So yeah, it's Jared, not a beginner. Jared's not there yet. Yeah. It's not a beginning rhythm method. And then you would do the same thing. So 30 seconds of counting and tapping the rhythm, uh, you know, tapping the beat, counting the rhythm, right. whatever. So without looking at the music. So basically you've memorized it now. Oh, I see. Okay. Yeah. And then <laughs> this is funny, but read a passage in the, in a book and do the same thing at the same time. <laughs> Interesting. You know, I saw, I mean, you know, sure. what is it with your old teachers and conk and crazy ideas? Cause I saw a master class <laughs> with your other teacher, uh, Fred Hemke, who was yeah. reading poetry in a kid's ear while they were playing uh, the Crescent Sonata. Right. And, and Just then, to make sure you could play it so, so effortlessly that you could have I, your brain think about something else. I guess, yeah. I don't know. Anyway, I always think when you get together with a pianist first time um, to play together, that that's basically the same thing because part of your brain uh, is going to listen to the pianist and you always kind of and, you know, It's interesting because when, when I get together with my collaborative pianist, yeah. they're generally reading a book while I'm playing. <laughs> so this, this whole method tracks. Yeah. yeah. Well- I've used these books by Ed Sueta called Rhythm Vocabulary Charts, Volume 1 and Volume 2, with okay. my students because my teacher, Mike Grammatico, when I was in, I think it was eighth grade, used those books with me, and they start really easy. So, like, a whole note. So you play, da, and tap your foot for four beats. Okay. And then you might go, Da, 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 and tap your foot. So they start super basic. So you'd say then you do two quarters and a half note. Oh, I got a doctorate in music. I know what that see, was. You're so good yeah. with your rhythmic notation Yay. and your, your dictation. You had to do rhythmic dictation as a student, didn't you? Uh, yeah. So anyway, those books start really easy, and I've used those with students to focus on rhythm. Are they still Maybe? in publication? Yes. Okay. I'll yeah. put a, well, let's put a, we'll yeah. put a link in the show notes. Yeah, because I – well – I think they still are. I bought them, you know, I would say 10 years ago, I bought a, a copy because I couldn't find my old copy. Okay. Yeah. So Very those cool. are great. Um, what about just, um, well, remember to practice slowly. We said that already. But what about just dancing? Mark suggested that this morning. Dancing. I said, what about if you just put on some music and practice getting your body to feel a beat? Yeah. Like even just stepping to it. I, I think there's something to the, the physicality yeah. of it. Yeah. That's, that's important. Have you ever had a student um, who taps the rhythm instead of a beat? Yes, many times. Yeah. And I've also had people who tap their foot 
and it doesn't relate to neither the rhythm <laughs> None of the above. or the metronome. It, it's <laughs> So what do you do with them? I send them to the neurologist. Oh, and get it fixed? And uh, say, you know, is, is there a neurological issue going on or a musculoskeletal issue? You're not issue? joking. No, I am joking. You're joking? Okay. No. I'm sorry. <laughs> I, I, I talk it, so much nonsense. I never know. So is it possible that that some people actually can't? Feel and move to a beat. I kind of don't think so, but is it possible? I think anyone can be trained. So yeah, I, that I leads so me too. to um, a question for you. So um, to get there, so what the way I teach it may be similar to this. What was the name of the author of the, the books you? Ed Sueta. S U E T A. That's a cool. That's a cool name. Right. So what totally. I generally do, I learned the the one and two and method. So I have yeah. my students learn it. I'll if they're learning the piece and they're still learning rhythm, I will have them write the rhythm above uh, the, the thing. Yeah. The little and symbol for yep. the and. And then what I'll have them do is count it with the metronome. And then finger along while counting. Ah. So clicking the keys, one and uh, two. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I had just counted an, an incorrect rhythm. One and and three and would be a correct. Whatever. Anyway, yeah. but the point being, <laughs> I have to do that, yeah. then play it. And I generally get quite good results with yeah. that. I didn't invent that. Obviously, the, the counting and finger along. I have an adult student who's a brilliant guy, and he's not alone. I've had many students, but this was very recently that I was working with an adult student. And has a hard time, can kind of get like the general rhythm, but it doesn't line up with the metronome. And uh, even yes. eighth note scales and gets away from the metronome and, and he can sense it's not with the metronome, but isn't sure exactly when it's getting off. Have, yeah. you, have you experienced this before? Yes. Yeah. Okay. So how do you fix it? I just, I just closed the Zoom session. I was like, not on my watch. And I clicked off. Yeah, um, that's hard. That's hard to fix if they can't play... Can they play quarter notes with a metronome? Can they Generally, start back yes. at that? It's the subdivision that the becomes. The subdivision. And it's that that awareness of when they're, I think there's there's so much mental energy going to the fingering and keeping the rhythm at, you yeah. know, accurate. And also, I'm, you know, talking about, you know, relaxing their embouchure and adjusting oh, those things. So much I think to there's think so much about. going on that the, the, the metronome just becomes, the brain filters it out. What about practicing down, up, down, up, down, up with the foot? Oh, and that's a metronome good. and just don't even maybe try that. Right. I mean, I I also believe that everybody can learn it. People are kind of naturally in different places along the pathway right. to being able to do that. But I think everybody can learn it. I think so too. And there are some kinds of music where you don't need it, but in the kind of music we do, both jazz and classical, you really do need to yeah. be able it, to feel that. It's like they say in Ratatouille, anyone can cook. Yeah. But anyone can dance yeah. and play the saxophone. Yeah. And at the same time, if sax squatch has taught us anything. Yeah. Yeah, or sexy sax guy. Yeah. Yeah, you can dance and play sax. For time. sure. Yeah, so <laughs> what are, in the classical uh, literature, what are some of the pieces that you find give your, your students the most problems? Well, Ebert is a great example. Holy cow, yeah. And the pianos go, da, ba, da, ba, da. The, the piano's got all those offbeats. Right. And it's a fine really, line between really being hard. rhythmically accurate without sounding pedantic. Yes, because of course. And how many times have you heard it played by students? Well, maybe professionals who da 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 instead of you know this nice lyrical line. Did you just make a musical line with that? I tried to. Look at you, fancy pants, fancher. That's what they call you. Well. Okay, I'm going to own that. Fancy pants. Well, Dr. Fancy. And I always say, <laughs> whoa, guys. Pants. That's Dr. Dr. Fancy, fancy Pants. Fancy Pants to you. To you. Yeah. <laughs> like, she's my friend. You need oh, to watch your yeah, mouth, there you go. Jared. Yeah. <laughs> well, always trying to make a line. It's all about a line. Yeah. I can't remember which jazz musician it was once who said, 
I'm just trying to play a good phrase. That's all I'm trying to do. That's yeah. my goal in life. Going to play a good, play a good phrase. phrase. Yeah. Uh, and improvisation. I tell my students, you're not. It's quit thinking chords. Think phrases. Think melodic lines. Melodic lines. Melodic well, lines, then if you think yeah. of, in terms of, of four Phrase, phrases yeah. for an, uh, a standard 32 bar four, it's four phrases. Phrases largely repeated with a prime, and that's so yep. much easier to think about rather than navigating. Because by the time oh, you're yeah. thinking about it, like you're, the rhythm section's left it in the dust. Yes, it goes by too fast. It does go by. Most things in life go by too fast. That's true. Like, uh, like holiday vacations. Oh yeah. You know, most of us just drove to our in-laws. Sue, where did you go for Thanksgiving well, break? I went to Stockholm. What did you do in Stockholm? I saw lots of old friends. So my old friends from the Rolling Phones, Annika, Nieta, and Kristen. Uh, Are Lota, they still playing? They're still playing. Lota wasn't able to join us, and Tova wasn't able to join us. But we got together and had a lovely. A uh, couple glasses of glug, which is a Swedish mulled wine with spices. In one of our earliest um, podcast episodes, uh, you actually gave the, the, the recipe for Oh, my God. For glug. glug. Yeah, glug. it's like gluvine, the German gluvine, so it's glug. Man, they sure do They sure do know how to make things sound appetizing over there. I'll tell you. I think, like, gosh, I could really go for some gluvine. <laughs> <laughs> or do they not pronounce it that way? <laughs> well, in Sweden, it's glug. Yeah, still doesn't sound good. It's so good. And you know it's dark in the winter there. So like in November, it's already dark by 3.30 in the afternoon. doesn't get light until about 10.30 in the morning. So it's it's dark. So you need warm mulled wine with spices, and you need candles, and they had all the Christmas lights so up So alcoholism already. and fire. That sounds great. Yeah. yeah. And we went, we went ice skating in Kungster Gordon, so downtown Stockholm. The ice skating rink was open. Oh. And we saw the Christmas windows at, I think it's Norden, I keep forgetting the name, and NK, so the big department store in downtown. Glugstrom. Stockholm. <laughs> J.C. Penny uh, Glug. We Vasa Museum, which is a wonderful museum about a big Viking, well, a big a big ship that sank on its maiden voyage. <laughs> so therefore, it sank in the harbor. So therefore, they could recover it and put it in a museum. Well, that's but nice. It, but it, don't don't put that thing on water because it's not going to work. It's too tall and narrow. It won't work. Yeah. But it's a beautiful museum. Went to the Middle Ages Museum. They were trying to build a parking lot back in the, I think, 1970s in downtown Stockholm. And they ran into all these ruins from the old city. So instead, oh, they, had to, they couldn't build a parking lot. So there, when you so said, because we were talking about Viking ships. <laughs> and then you said, and they were trying to build a parking lot. And I was like, the Vikings? And <laughs> no, I was like, in the like, 1970s. And then they realized, wait, we do not have cars yet. <laughs> exactly. No, we don't need. Oh, we yeah. had a great time. But we also spent some time just relaxing. We watched some of the, you know, some of the soccer games for the World Cup. Right. We went out to eat, and we got together with our friends. On did you bring your saxophone? I did not. You... I traveled without a saxophone. How did you go practice? I you... didn't practice for an entire week. Like a normal, healthy human I got being. together with Andish Paulson, who's a fantastic Swedish soprano saxophonist whom who I have admired for ages. He's Aww. also a former Lundex student, which oh, I had yeah. forgotten. He studied in the early 80s. With Lundex when he was just seventeen, not Lundex, Anders Paulson was seventeen oh, and studied with Lundex. Should Lundex have been uh, studying with Mule at I, the time? I yeah. so admire people who who managed to to take on that kind of intense instruction at such a young age. I mean, because I was more like twenty two or twenty three when I studied with Lundex and had already studied with Hemke, so I was used to being cut down at the knees yeah. all the time. <laughs> I was a mere eighteen when I was told I didn't know how to read rhythms. 
Oh, I make a play rhythms. I just I just couldn't read them. <laughs> it's like look, because before the reason I learned rhythms before was my teacher was an excellent music educator and band director who was my high school band director. Yeah. Um, he would yell like, "No, it's one and a two e and a three. And I'm like, "Oh, okay." And then the next measure, "No, it's one and and you know." And I'm like, "Okay." And then I would just play when he's screaming at me. You know. Well, it's good that you were able to like do that. Yeah. So I pick, orally, I would pick it up. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so, but yeah. then when he wasn't screaming the rhythm when I got to college, and, and he wasn't like you know beating the rhythm into me, I was lost. I was a lost hey, little boy. You know, the vast majority of musics in the world are taught orally. They're not taught. They're not written down. Right. So this is kind of a special thing. This this classical music and jazz thing that so much of it's written. Right. Yeah. 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 So, and also, it's, it, it's weird in, in Western music education, at least in the United States. It's like, well, we have to write it down. We have to look at the music. We have to play it, and then we have to talk about it and analyze it. Yeah. Uh, because I, I remember going to a music educators conference. Like, well, if even if they can play it, it, they may not understand it. And I was like, no, if they can play it, they understand they it. They understand it. They yeah, can't write like, it down. Yeah, and it's like that's a very Eurocentric yeah. way to, to view music making. There. Yeah, well, these yeah, days, yeah. back then, it was like, no, this is education. You're not yeah. being a good educator. It's like, the kid can play it. They understand it. Even if they can't tell you that that's a secondary dominant, if they make music with it, that's the whole point. Yeah, and there's a big push these days to in, allow for, if not embrace, maybe allow for the study or at least the practice of other musical styles. We're working on a new, I hope it's public, okay to say this, this isn't public. This is a podcast. No one. I don't even publish these. <laughs> no one listens. <laughs> We're working on a new music minor pathway at, at Duke that will allow for us to give somebody a music minor, you know, they have to take a certain number of courses and stuff, but we right. won't, won't, won't necessarily require them to take the normal Western or whatever classical music, music theory. And they wouldn't necessarily have to play in band or orchestra or sing in chorus. We could allow credit for other kinds of musical practice. That's insane. I know. If right? they don't know second species counterpoint, they ain't making music. <laughs> So anyway, this is not unique to Duke. A lot of schools are starting to, you know, like the new pop tech degree at, at UNCG is also allowing for music making that's not traditional classical music style. Right. Um, or even jazz. That's you know, a big another. ball of wax. I'm not going to unwind. Yeah, let's not. A Hank Hill quote comes to mind. Okay. Of, um, yeah, I'm just going to shut my mouth. Uh, but it is okay, interesting. It's going uh, to be very interesting <laughs> to see how the, all that pans out. Such restraint uh, there, Wally. What kind of tea are you enjoying there, Sue Fancher? Um, I am enjoying a cup of tea. Which we don't know the brand. You uh, know why? I can't say it. Because, yeah, we're not. I can't say if, it. We're if not, you have a warm beverage company, we enjoy a warm beverage on the show. It's a green tea. Yeah, but we're not going to oh. say the name of the company. So if you'd oh. like to sponsor the Sex oh, Academy podcast. Oh, yeah, send us some tea. With your warm beverages. <laughs> just want to throw this <laughs> out there to sponsors. <laughs> Oh, we're getting so I can make, mercenary I can now. Make this is awesome. Some ASMR slurping sounds, <laughs> and then we would name your tea company or coffee company. Well, the, oh, or, yeah, this is a lovely green tea. Yeah, it's a yep. darn shame they don't sponsor the podcast, and we yeah. can't tell people what we're drinking because yeah. I'm so loaded up with antioxidants. I'm worried that I'm going to be low on oxidants. <laughs> so we've got to we we'll got to never get ill ever again in never, our lives oh, drinking this stuff. I'm superstitious. I'm not religious, <laughs> oh, but I'm superstitious. Okay. So yeah, yeah. All right. What's the question? Are we going on to oh, a question now? This. Oh, it's such good a good team. couple yeah. of no, right. no non-brand. Non non-sponsored. Yeah. Non-sponsored tea. Oh, man. You're so bad. Okay. This it. is from yeah. Omar. Hi, Dr. Wallace. My name is mm. Omar. I'm a classical saxophonist doing my undergrad at the Blair School of Music in Vanderbilt. I figured I should oh, ask nice. you about this because I remember you mentioning in your videos that you were in a similar situation at one point. 
loan sharks. Um, I'm guessing. <laughs> I chose to go to school for classical saxophone because I enjoy it and it's what I'm best at, but I just really lost and confused because every time I listen to jazz and hear others playing it, I feel like that's what I should really be doing. Sometimes it gets to the point where I feel like my craft isn't legitimate. That's never true. And yeah. that's my insertion. Yeah. And that I'm never really going to progress because I'm not sure about what I want to spend time on. I feel like I have a decent foundation in jazz. I listen to a lot and I've developed a convincing sound, but when I improvise, it feels like I'm farting around chord changes and not really telling a story. I'd appreciate any advice you could give me. Thanks. Uh, first year new to music school, by the way. Overall feeling pretty lost. Yeah. What do you well, think, Sue? who's teaching there? Who's teaching saxophone there? I should know this. I'm going to look at, that up. At Vanderbilt? Yeah. You know, I have no idea. Oh, I should look that up. So talk to your teacher about this, and they should encourage you to pursue jazz along with classical, especially yeah. if you're I, interested. I don't know. I would go to my teacher and say, here's what a couple of podcasters told me to do. <laughs> yeah, okay. <laughs> you can do that too. You can say, Wally and Omar, Sue don't said. do it. No, 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 no. <laughs> They'll be like, don't listen to those clowns. <laughs> so how do you, do you have any students or do you know anyone that really seriously approached class, classical and jazz at the same time in their undergrad? Or do they generally always have one specialty and kind of try to keep up the other one? I think it's, in my experience, it's mostly that. So I was studying classical music at uh, Northwestern, and I took jazz lessons with Joe Daly downtown in Chicago. By the way, aside, comment here, best thing I ever did for my classical playing was to go work on jazz jazz style, but also jazz improvisation with Joe Daly. Best thing I did for my classical playing. Oh, you've talked about that in the past, yep. what it did for yep. your rhythm. And, oh, my God. And, and my sense of line and my sense of musical phrasing and my understanding of harmony, blah, 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 on and on and on. Right. You know? But also, you know, I got to my lessons with Joe Daly already being able to, like, waste my scales, already to be able – I could read like a banshee. I was a great sight reader – so Joe didn't have to work on any of that kind of stuff with me. He could jump ahead. So Question. my classical playing was are, awesome for my jazz playing. Are banshees good at sight reading? Absolutely. Okay. Because we said, <laughs> I, I sight read like a banshee. I, I, like, read like, I have no idea. What I honestly thought they were, <laughs> they were blind and did like an echolocation. I thought that's why they were screaming. That's probably. But right. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's probably, yeah. <laughs> okay, Wally. <laughs> All right, just saying like, yeah, let's know. But, okay, so let's see. How about Ron Blake? So he I had studied- a tone like a chupacabra. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> Ron Blake studied classical with Hemke, but he was an now, for, awesome In case player. someone doesn't yeah. know, uh, Ron Blake, baritone saxophone, a Saturday Night Live band. He's awesome. He's yeah. amazing. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. And he knows, he, he and likes Christian you. Christian McBride, big band too. Okay, yes. Yeah. So, so he's a monster. He, he probably said reads like a Wendigo. <laughs> I'm out of mythological Dude, creatures. I'm out. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He's Techni awesome. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you got to watch these expressions. Intonation we never think like about Cthulhu. Them. I, yeah. Oh, yeah, no, he's awesome. But he came to Northwestern from the Virgin Islands already as a, a terrific jazz player as a student already. Right. But, yeah, so, you know, he didn't. Well, I'm sure he worked on it and learned it at Northwestern, but he came to Northwestern playing really at a high level, at a high level, already, level yeah. already. Yeah. So this is really tough because what would you recommend to Omar do? Well, go play in jazz band. Go play in a, a jazz combo. Take jazz improv lessons alongside. If you can, the hardest thing with doing jazz and classical, in my view, is finding time to practice both. It is. So you know, maybe 
I don't know what to tell you. If your classical teacher will allow you to do an hour a day on classical and an hour a day on jazz, you could do that with your two hours a day of practice. Or you could really focus on jazz in the summers. Right. Which is what I did. I, I took jazz lessons in the summer and then I focused mm. on classical. But I still played in combo and jazz ensemble during my undergrad. Right. Yeah. If they let you do that at Northwestern, you could do all that. So I was in, you know, band and jazz band and I didn't do a combo all the time. I only did that one or two semesters because right. that, that started to be too much because I was also in sax quartet. And of course, I loved um, being in uh, contemporary music ensemble because that was a, a passion. So and I was in the chapel choir for a while. So it Good was grief. too many ensembles. Yeah. Plus, you know, academics. So right. can't, I don't advise doing all that. It's too much. Yeah. So focus. I really think because you've already committed to getting this undergraduate degree, yeah. and, and most most universities, the the four year music degree is an emphasis in classical because it's education yeah. based, and you know, it's kind of like originally originally the music got into the public schools to be band directors, yeah. and so when you took saxophone lessons, it was how to train musically to teach the saxophone and the, the you know right as part of the school band thing, or make it into the the, or army one of the, or the military or bands, military yeah, bands. yeah, exactly. So um, I would say dive in. Nothing you're going to do classically is going to hurt you. And many of our favorite no. jazz players studied at Juilliard classical music. Absolutely. Either clarinet or I think Miles Davis studied at Juilliard classical Oh, yeah. Trumpet. It's not going to hurt your jazz player. Right. So I would do that. And then, Omar, what I would recommend is I'm going to slightly disagree. Go for it. Okay. I think jazz band is entirely, or not entirely, but I think it's very time-consuming, but yeah. very little payoff for learning jazz. Okay. In my experience, I sat and read big band charts for a lot of years and I still couldn't improvise. Uh, oh, it's not going to help your improvising. It's just going to help. Right. Yeah. Well, and granted, it's a little bit like of the the jazz police. Like, well, if you're not improvising, you're not playing jazz. I'm not sure I'm that hard line. Right. I want people to enjoy jazz. But there are people that like, look, if you can't blow over this set of chord changes, mm. you're playing at jazz, you're not playing jazz. I'm not that right. hard line. Right. Um, but I'm, I would be lying if I said those voices from some of my mentors weren't kind of in the back of my head. Of course, yeah. Um, but the, for the adult amateurs, I'm like, you play jazz however you want. Yeah. As long as you're having fun, you're doing it right. Yeah, and if you're enjoying playing in a band, yeah. and meeting people and making connections. I agree. Yeah. So I would say for the hours that you might send in a jazz band, what I would do is take a look at what a world-class jazz program is doing. So you, um, Miles Davis studies program at UNCG mm, great. Um, is fantastic. Um, they turn these 18-year-old kids into just whiz kids that then go on to the greatest grad schools on they, earth. They I, play great. I yeah. have no, I mean, I, I have no reason to, to bump them up except that I was immensely impressed with their jazz pedagogy. And so what I'm going to tell you is what a week's worth of practice might look like in there and then expand it. So here's mm. what I mean. So every week I would go in for a lesson as a doctoral student. So yeah. I mean, there's 18-year-old kids playing circles around me in jazz. Sure. And we would have a transcription. I might work on at least probably a chorus of some, you know, our pepper. You put on the CD, you play along, you live in that player's shoes. I didn't have to write it down, the transcription. I just uh, had to play nice. along. Yeah. And then we'd immediately put on a backing track and improvise. And then we'd talk a little bit about the chord changes and see how maybe that art pepper might express itself in my solo. So... Omar, in your situation, rather than trying to do a new one of those every week while you're doing classical studies, do one of those type of lessons a month. So maybe take like a chorus of, if you're playing alto, of, you know, Art Pepper or Paul Desmond's a different ball of wax that I don't yeah. like to start there transcription-wise, but uh, or a Lou Donaldson. And yeah. start where, in, where, as a jazz major, maybe doing one chorus a week in their lesson. Try one chorus a month yeah. and play along with the recording. 
Yeah. And then the other thing is find net time, no extra time. Right. So while your friends are scrolling on social media and looking at the TikToks right. and getting depressed on Instagram, <laughs> put on for a record, real. sit down with your headphones yeah. and listen for pleasure. Yeah. And I think that'll be more valuable than someone that's sitting on a lot of hours in big bands and jazz combos and hacking through chord changes but aren't listening seriously to the music. Oh, that's fair. Yeah. So, yeah, I would I would recommend the, the, the no extra time. Yeah. I think it's a, but, it's a great way to do it. But do your classical degree. That's not going to hurt you. No. That's no, not no, going to no, hurt no. you at all. This can be great for your playing. And you will, you will, when you hear Ron Blake play, I'm sorry, you can tell that the guy has studied classical saxophone with Fred Hemke. You can hear it in his playing, just the beauty of the tone and the control and excellent right. attacks and i don't know just it, it didn't hurt him his technique holy cow <laughs> yeah no and so yeah omar i would say like take this do what your teacher says do your degree very seriously yeah. don't freak out you do not have to be a world-class player jazz player at 18 19 20 21 no. 22 i did not start seriously playing jazz seriously until my late 30s um really felt like now i'm having fun in my 40s and right. that classical training has done me a whole lot of good for sure, um, no question. I about know that. all eleven yeah. major scales. Uh, I know like <laughs> at least half of what the side keys do. <laughs> I can quote Tableau de Provence in my solos. Oh well, that's important. Yeah, that, that's actually a lie. I've never done that. <laughs> yeah, I've heard the bear quoted before, though. I have as well. Yeah, <laughs> that is so. Yeah, I would say dive into your your classical studies yeah. and and learn to master the saxophone, and then in the time that. All your, I know people say, I'm in college, I have no time. It's, Wait, yeah. I know I said that all the time, but that's because of all those ensembles. I well, okay. And I will say, I and I'm a little bit of an outlier that I am always that like do as few ensembles as I can. <laughs> I find those the least helpful and the most time consuming. Yeah, that's probably um, true. For me, it was it probably social as much as anything. Right. Yeah. yeah. And some people love it, but I mean, like for me, it was just like, I was always annoyed because like, I'm, I'm, I'm chewing through so many reeds. <laughs> it's like, I don't um, want to use my good reeds for the ensemble play. Oh gosh, that's so funny. Yeah, and every hour in the ensemble, I wasn't practicing. I was playing yeah. through stuff. And also, I found that, on, I've, I've railed on this before, but in ensembles, you learn to follow directions, not think and make critical decisions or actually learn much about music in my experience. Well, and hopefully, though, if the ensemble is really good, you start to think in terms of chamber music while you're playing in the large ensemble. Yes. And listen and make music and... Okay, we should talk about something else. Yeah, what else, <laughs> what else we got this week? Oh, you- uh, I don't know. I was just thinking about all that rhythm stuff, and I hope we helped, gave some I, good suggestions I, I, about I don't, that. I don't care either way, because I got a hot I cup got of, a really lovely cup, cup of, of no-name tea. Oh, tea. Uh, new update. Yes. Um, huge project um, coming out. Spoiler alert. There's going to be 48 of them. 48? 48. Mm. What do I know? Some that will be fast. Forty-eight. Of. Some will be slow, mm. and you might find them in some major keys. You might find them in some minor ah, keys. Reminds me of a certain etude. And it may be book. a new standard for technical ah. study and tone development in the twenty-first century. And it may be free for everyone. Yeah, bring um, it. Yeah. So yeah, the Saxophone Academy has um, has a very big thing coming out that has been a large commitment of time, capital, and uh, love and attention. So that's going to be on the horizon. Well, hopefully we'll be able to talk a little bit more about next week. Cool. Um, last week, I made a just very unsophisticated plea for free music <laughs> for the quartet. Oh, yeah. And a couple, of people, some... a couple of people oh, have reached out. Awesome. One of which, um, there's a sexist named Ellen Horner. Do you know oh, Ellen? Oh, yeah. Ellen, yeah. Okay, I know Ellen. She's, she's like, we've never met. I was like, we have. 
Um, <laughs> and so she has sent me and apologize. I have not had a chance to um, play through it yet because I need to get in an ensemble. Some kind. Oh, yeah. I'm not in a saxophone quartet. So right. I, I, need to, I need to fix that. Um, but anyway, so she sent a couple of trio arrangements. No way. Yeah. And so there are so few trios. I, so I'm going to huh. take a serious look at it. I think there's some list and some other good transcriptions. And Ellen, being a very you know knowledgeable saxophonist, she knew exactly is, yeah. what was public domain, what was not. Oh, God. That's um, and awesome. so, uh, and then there was another gentleman that reached out that I'm still sorting through this kind of stuff. And then, whatever, if we decide to use it, we'll actually get it nicely engraved and, and give that person yeah. credit, whoever did the, the uh, transcription, obviously. And then you, uh, you get paid in magic uh, internet street cred. And that feels better than money. Yeah, for sure. Okay, it's not. <laughs> but, but you're not gonna make money off it anyway. You know, the only things I ever found, uh, well, there there are a few things for trios. So there's an arrangement of um, a little trio by Beethoven that um, I believe Larry Teal made. Hmm, I should look that up. Really? That I used with some students, lovely. And then there's a movement from one of Maslanka's quartets that's a trio, drops out the berry that. Some of my students have played when we had a, a problem getting oh, a very you know, player. You know who else wrote a trio? Who? John Harbison. He wrote a trio? Yeah, and it's terrible. Oh, well, I don't let's like not, it. Let's not play that one. Yeah, then. and it's not public domain. Yeah, and he he's not a sponsor, so right. Well, yeah. there you have it. No, no, and he does not make a hot, delicious unnamed, <laughs> unnamed <laughs> And there's beverage. some jazz trios. There's some yeah. jazz trios for um, you know, multi or. Flexible SAT or ATB or you know like different. That. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. super useful when you're working with students. Yeah. So I've got. Yeah, a, I'm excited to see that list that Ellen uh, sent. Yeah. I'm. I'm. Yeah. Oh, she actually yeah. sent me the the um the I believe XML file or at least the PDFs. Oh, fantastic! So I'm going yeah. to um Ellen. Thank you so much. Yeah. Um and but oh, funny story. So she said we haven't met, and I was like, no, I'm pretty sure I saw you play uh, the Barrier Sequenza for Griffin Campbell at a master class in Gainesville, Florida, in 1995. Whoa. Whoa. I have a weird memory. <laughs> That's really weird now, that you remember My that. wife said, go ahead and schedule the kids' flu shots. Yeah. Didn't happen. Do you remember to do that? No. no. Go ahead but and mail this <laughs> mail this thing to our accountant. Doesn't happen. Don't forget to order this. Yeah, yeah like, that kind of stuff is right through my brain. Take but out the garbage. remembering <laughs> Ellen Horner playing uh, a Berio Sequenza. And I can actually remember Back what the room was. 1995, oh Gainesville, Florida. And the person giving the master class was Griffin Campbell. I can remember where I was sitting. My husband can remember things like that. He'll say, well, remember when we went somewhere and we ate at that restaurant and we he called, he'll remember what we ate i'm like nope <laughs> but he'll remember that stuff maybe maybe he's just gaslighting you like, don't you remember you <laughs> ordered you, you ordered the chicken i never ordered the chicken like oh you ordered the chicken maybe it's oh man very benign hey, gaslighting we went to ikea in stockholm and had <gasps> swedish meatballs were they different than the american swedish meatballs? they're the same at ikea here yeah so very good. are you yeah. saying american ikea swedish meatballs are authentic yes Okay. Yeah, go there, a, man. a musicologist went on a rampage just now because, like, oh, the word authentic is problematic because what is authentic? <laughs> and, but, you know, like, you can't say the word authentic around a musicologist or, excuse me, more specifically, an uh, ethnomusicologist because so then you get funny. into a long discussion of what is authentic. My 19 my year old kid had to go to IKEA. That was on a like must do list. My 19 year old needed to get a blow high stuffed, I think it's a dolphin or something like that. A dolphin. Blow high well, stuffed dolphin. High. So it's blue. Shark, I think. High means shark, I think. A blue shark stuffed animal. My 19-year-old needed a stuffed animal, so we had to go to Ikea. And so then we got some meatballs. They we need there. what they need. They know hey, what Look, look. It we, was so cute. You know what I, I mean? love like, that they can still be kid-like. I love right. that. I, oh, so I hope my so kiddos great. do the same thing. Yeah. 
Like, we yeah. have to go to Ikea. I'm like, okay, we'll do it. <laughs> I, I got to admit, I would probably want to do that too. Yeah, and all yeah. the Christmas decorations were up in the oh. Galleria Mall. It was so beautiful. Oh. I yeah. was in rural Georgia, and I held a chicken. Well, cool. <laughs> <laughs> What color was the chicken? Wally? Chicken speckled, and it was... <laughs> It was, you know they have speckled eggs. You know, I was I was really disappointed because, like, first of all, I opened the coop and like the things were like just getting away from <laughs> and away from me. And so I finally like went around to the little side door and I grabbed one. Awesome. And I was like, and I'd seen videos of like people petting chickens and them kind yeah. of snuggling into their humans. And this thing just looked at me like, I'm a nugget. I'm a nugget. I'm a nugget. Like and there was nothing in its eyes. It, it didn't. Was like, it didn't, there was no warm fuzzy. It, there. it didn't like not like being held or like being held. It was basically an inanimate object. So. <laughs> I went inside. I had a big old thing of chicken nuggets because, like, <laughs> these things are not sentient. Yeah, that was my. Uh, that so was basically, your big adventure. Basically, we had the same Thanksgiving. Yeah, yeah. really, just on really, par. Really, it was just the same. Yeah. Yeah, but I had meatballs. You had chicken nuggets. <laughs> I actually, I didn't. I didn't have chicken nuggets, but I would have. Uh, no, I actually tend to get chicken tenders from. Okay, well, I'm gonna last comment, <laughs> completely unrelated. Uh, in Hartwell, Georgia, this teeny tiny town where my wife is from, Yay. they have a Dairy Queen, and in that Dairy Queen, it's the only Dairy Queen I've ever found. You can get chicken tenders with gravy. Oh, jeez, that's awesome! It was amazing. So the day, no, it's actually the same day I held the chicken. I washed my hands. <laughs> then we went to the Dairy Queen and stopped by her parents' house to bring them some of the food before we we went home. And I had chicken tenders with gravy. And after holding that stupid beast, I felt no guilt. There's nothing in its cold dead eyes. <laughs> well, did you eyes. have a nice, like, Thanksgiving feast with turkey and all the trimmings? Yeah, it was lovely. Gets and I also, I, I really— I did miss that. Okay, yeah. I did miss that this year. I would have I would have loved uh, Swedish meatballs just as much. But it really <laughs> also, I did spend some time, and I did the thing where I annoy my kids, like, what are you grateful for? You know, uh, and then I made them say, and they came to me, and I looked at my family in the eyes, I said, my saxophone community, really? You know, the listeners? And uh, they're like, daddy? And I was like, no, listen to me, son. <laughs> it's the saxophonist. Um, people are sending in music to share. We've yeah. got quartets forming. Some of our students in the saxophone academy are playing duets together all around the world. And that's what I'm grateful for. My daughter burst out into tears. I was like, honey, don't discount the power of a strong saxophone community. This is an awesome community. It really is. Yeah. And we are grateful for it. Yeah. You know what make them even better? What? If they went to oh, they better go, go practice. practice. <laughs> Have a fantastic holiday season. We'll be back sometime fairly soon. Yeah. Talk to you soon. We'll, we'll get a Christmas episode out. Yeah. Right. Bye, Absolutely. guys. Bye. <laughs>